But today we want to take some time to just honour fathers, especially because it's Father's Day, uh, but also because it's right to do so. So the fifth command says, honour your father and mother, which Jesus points out is the first command with a promise. He says, honour your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you. So Jesus says, if you honour your parents, there's blessing for you, there's blessing for you from God. And fatherhood is really important, perhaps now more than at any time in history, I'd say. There seems to be a real move against fatherhood, there's a real challenge to it. Um, there's a lack of fathers in our society, not in the biological sense, of course. Uh, there are plenty of men who are still prepared to do that, but in this whole sense of fathering, there seems to be a real lack of fathering. And children need men who are prepared to stay around, provide protection, and good role models. But increasingly, it seems, in our society today, that uh, fathers are absent from families. And it's just a tragedy, I think. There was a, a new report this week from the Centre for Social Justice, and it said that there were a million children growing up without a father in their lives. A million children growing up without any father. The report says that lone parent families are increasing by more than 20,000 a year and will top 2 million by the next general election. In some areas, fatherlessness has reached such high levels that they are virtual men deserts. A quarter of all children have no male role models in their lives. And it says that the number of single-parent households have been rising steadily over the past 40 years and that now 3 million children are growing up predominantly with their mothers. This is just mind-blowing statistics about the need for fathers in our society. Last month, the shadow public health minister, Diane Abbott, gave what some said was a controversial speech. She said that Britain is suffering from a crisis of masculinity, as a result of which young men have become unclear of their social role, do worse at school, suffer depression and anxiety, and adopt hypermasculine behaviours, violence. She called for a strengthened role for fathers in family life with father-friendly parenting classes, meaningful parental leave for men and more conversations between fathers and sons about manhood. And, you know, here at Jubilee, I think we're really fortunate to have some uh, really great men amongst us. We have, yeah, can I hear an amen? We've got some great men and uh, a lot of them are fathers too. And some of them haven't had children at all, but they're still fathers in the church. And actually, Paul, the writer of most of the New Testament, uses fathers as a model for good leadership. He says in 1 Thessalonians 2 uh, about fathers comparing them to apostles of the church. And he describes what godly fathers are meant to do. He says this, For you know that we apostles dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. What does he do? Encouraging, comforting, and urging them to live lives worthy of God. That's what fathers do. Encourage, comfort, and urge them to live worthy lives. 
Added to this, of course, is the fact that God himself, when he chooses a title for himself, he could have choose, chosen any number of amazing titles, but he chose to use the word Father. And so when Jesus says, when you pray, call him Father, call him Dad, a term of respect, but also a term of incredible intimacy and familiarity. And so today, I've rather than just talk about fatherhood, I thought it'd be great to get some dads to actually talk about being dads. So we've got four dads who are going to talk about their experiences of uh, fatherhood, and I'm just going to introduce them to you. First of all, Tom is going to come and speak, and he's going to talk about the shock and the joy of being a father for the first time. Although yesterday he was teetering on the edge of shock only and the joy slightly falling behind. Uh, (laughs) Steve Wicking is going to talk about his heart for raising boys and his own experience of fathering growing up. I think that's what he's going to talk about anyway. Uh, And Trev is going to talk about the challenge of raising a child with special needs and also give his testimony really about how losing a child has affected him and his fatherhood, and how he's found God in that. And last of all, we've got Paul Denny, who's going to speak as a father. Oh, you've actually brought a child of yours here. (laughs) Oh, that's dangerous. She's an adult, so that's all right. So he's going to talk about fathering teenagers and the transition to university, leaving home, and also the fatherhood of God. Okay, so we've got a bit of a treat in store for you. So can I welcome Tom up, first of all? Thank you. Um, yeah, so my name's Tom, and I'm married to Kate, who is uh, at the back with our daughter, who I'm sure you have heard, um, if you heard at any point during the worship, uh, several higher, 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 and then a high-pitched scream. That was my daughter, who is 14 months old, and her name is Anna. So, um, yeah, <clears throat> so where do I start? I want to talk, um, Rob's kind of got it right, but I've wandered a bit off the subject, but um, I want to talk about the experiences of being a new father. Uh, I'm aware that others here have been fathers a lot longer than I have, 14 months I've been a father, but this is my experience and my thoughts on it, so you can all come and tell me afterwards and say, oh, it gets a lot worse, or oh, it gets a lot better. Um, so I'm going to take it from this point now, uh, there's a long way to go. Um, but here we go. Um, so Anna made a very surprise entrance to this world in two ways. Okay, we were intending, number one, we were intending to travel the world, settle in a little and see what happened. But as always, our plans are not God's plans. And Anna circumnavigated the world with us, unbeknown to us, until we got to the middle of the Australian desert, where following the sunset at Uluru or the Ayers Rock, we found out we were having Anna. So... Shock number one, um, start, 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 sat in a hotel in the middle of the Australian desert with still 25 hours flying to go, and so the adventure continued and began. Um, Kate progressively, yeah, got worse as we went round the world. Um, so, for, and then secondly, uh, the second surprise was following a relatively smooth early pregnancy, Kate then developed something called obstetric coleostasis. I'm not going to go into detail, but it meant that Anna was going to need to be delivered two weeks early. Uh, so following 48 hours in hospital, Anna was delivered by forceps and entered the world. So again, another shock. Uh, we'd been through all these NCT classes, which were all like, lovely and wonderful and telling you how amazing this birth is going to be and sleeping, uh, well, Kate ending up having to go through that and me ending up sleeping between two chairs pushed together with no, with no middle, um, was not exactly how they explained it. Um, Proverbs 19.21 says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Um, 
man, we know that. Uh, Kate mentioned this verse in her Mother's Day talk that she did um, when she was still pregnant with Anna. Oh, sorry, waving. And it still rings true with us today. M- uh, many are our plans, but still our plans, they're still our plans and not God's plans often. And it's God's purpose that is going to be worked out. Not quite our timing, but she's still amazing and still a joy to have. So after Anna was born, she had some health difficulties with reflux. However, this wasn't diagnosed at first, and we had five months of crying at every single feed, and stressful days and nights prevailed ahead of us. Being a new parent, I had no idea how long this would last. We had a conversation yesterday about, with a second child, you kind of know that this isn't going to last forever. And seeing your daughter in so much distress, whilst you and your wife try best to rectify it, really takes it out of you. This helplessness really came as quite another shock. As previously, we'd have some kind of element of control over our lives, but now all of a sudden, we had an unpredictable factor, which um, I don't think any amount of uh, classes or any any kind of uh, friendly advice can really prepare you for what you're going to end up doing. I really started to wonder about the plans God had. Being really honest, um, we had... um, it was it, it was a very very hard few months, and the question of how how could this really be God's plan to make a child suffer like this? All these questions flying around our head. We also had friends at the at the same time having babies with health difficulties. Never really before had I had to question things like this. Um, I'd always maintained that God was in control and knew that He was doing absolutely everything, and it was fine. And even through a sudden family bereavement that we had, I was like, yeah, no, don't worry, God's in control. We're absolutely fine with this. And personally, it it didn't rock my faith at all. I wasn't in a point where I was like, that's it. But I still believed that God was in control. But there was always that questioning of, how can he do this? And why is this a plan? And how is this a plan? Two things happened to me uh, in, in the midst of all this confusion. I was impacted by the gospel again, um, about how God the Father sent Jesus to earth, willingly suffering in our place for the sin in our lives, everything that we've done wrong, everything we do when we don't put God first. It reminded me that we live in a world that is not perfect and that we have a hope that because of what Jesus has done, one day every tear will be wiped away, all hurt and pain will cease, and we'll live in a place that, where there is no suffering. Until then, God is still on the throne, and whilst I really don't understand everything that he does, I know he's still there. I suppose it's a little bit like Anna not understanding why we stop her doing things. And we know that they're dangerous or, you know, we know that she shouldn't be doing them. She gets frustrated, but one day she will see why we did that. Likewise, one day, maybe not in this life, but I'm sure we're going to see things much more clearly. 1 Corinthians 13:12 talks about now we just, we see in part, you know, we prophesy in part and then, and then actually there will be a time when Knowledge will pass away because we'll see it all and we'll know it all. Secondly, the second thing that happened is I heard uh, a talk by Gavin Calver, who's the National Director of Youth for Christ, and his wife about their difficulties with their second child. And his wife talked about going to a car park after one of their scans and just crying and actually saying, God, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this with you. And I think I'm going to turn my back on you and walk away. And in that moment, she said, she suddenly felt this thought of, I can either do this with God and not understanding or without God at all. And without God at all scared her. And so she said, I'll do this, but I don't understand why. And that was all fine. And, the, and the, it's, uh, it, uh, it had a 
quite a good ending that story but um that really impacted me and i thought yeah actually you know if i said that's it i'm not going to do this anymore god i can't i can't be bothered with you then that's got to be worse than doing it with god even though not understanding so that was kind of the shock element the joy element i am um, i said to kate earlier i don't think there will ever be a time when her eyes and her smile won't melt my heart to pieces um and that's really mushy but actually it's true and you can remind me of that when she's screaming and running around and i'm holding her upside down by her leg because she's not doing as she's told and all this kind of thing but actually there is something about her and it does just bring you so much joy there is something about her that she just runs she runs to you when she cuddles you the fact that she looks like me the fact that she you know that's fine um the fact that she has some of my mannerisms some of my behaviors are the things that i i seeing her and I think oh wow you've come from me so even with the shock even with this kind of confusion even with this I'm not quite sure what's happening what God is doing in all of this we've got an incredible little girl and we're so blessed to have her and it's amazing to see her growing up and um, just being her really and uh, this little character coming out so that's my story of the shock and the joy of being a father and hopefully um, we can learn a bit more thank you Hello, um, my name's Steve, thanks Sam, and um, for reminding me of my name. Um, my name's Steve, and um, I'm married to Trudy, who isn't invisible, she's um, at home with um, our two, we've got three boys, nine, six, and nine months, and Trudy's at home with the youngest two, because one of the other joys of parenting is them waking up in the night and being sick everywhere and having to change all the um, the bedclothes, so that's one of the joys. Um, that we all that we get to experience at some point, but yeah. So Trudy's not here, but um, she's my better half, and she's at home with our other two boys. And Bob just asked me to talk about fathering boys. Um, I have three boys, so I have a passion for boys. Um, but I also, I, you know, I also have three boys, so there's no escaping from that. And Rob's kind of already touched on society, and that we live in a, a society where there's there's um there's a lack of fathers. Um, he mentioned the one million families in the study this week um, that, are, that are fatherless. And, um, you know, that's families without fathers. But there is something, um, there is something significant about for boys and, and their relationship with their dad. And all of us men in the room can, can recognize that, that that relationship with our dad or lack of relationship with our dad is actually very important. And it's very um, formative as we're growing up in our development. And um, so uh, just from my experience, three kind of areas that I think fathers bring um, to boys in, in kind of raising boys. And I'd, I'd kind of um, I'd, I'd, I'd say there are kind of three kind of general areas. And I'd say it's, it's security, providing a kind of security for them, um, helping them understand and take on responsibility and also challenging them and pushing them. So those kind of three areas, I think, are kind of essential in that kind of father-son relationship. And, and obviously, there's a gift of fathering, I think it's already been mentioned, that actually, you know, as Rob said, there are people here who may not have kids, but who have been fathers to people. And I think we all need fathers. Even, you know, I know I do as a, as a 36-year-old man. I need father figures. I need usually older men. It doesn't have to be older men, but it's usually older men um, with kind of that little bit more experience, that little bit more wisdom that I can go to, that I can run things past. And, and, I, and, I, and I, I'm expecting that, that actually, even when I'm 60, there'll be people that I'm looking to for, for you know, to kind of have a fatherly in, in, input into my life. 
Um, and, and, you know, on that, what I would, you know, because we talked about fatherless society in the same study that Rob mentioned. Um, I think they said that they're, that one in four primary schools don't have a, a male teacher. Um, and so that, that kind of, you know, being available as men to kids and, you know, being that kind of role model, I think is really important, especially within the church. Um, and speaking as someone who grew up in um, a fatherless household for a, a significant part of my childhood, um, that, that, that need for, for, for a father figure, and there were men in the church where I grew up who did play that role. There's, you know, there, were, there was a guy in the church, um, and I, I just want to honour him. His name was Nick Barnes. You might never meet him, you might never hear of him, but um, he taught me to drive, and um, he, I think he got me a pair of shoes. I didn't have any shoes when I was due to go on work experience, and he got me a pair of shoes, and things like that taught me how to tie a tie, that kind of thing. And so he kind of played a fatherly role, and um, there, are, there, are, there are characteristics in him that I can see in myself. One of the things I'd say is that we... that. Um, that that kind of fatherly role it's it's it's, a, it's kind of role modelled and you pick up um, traits. So I have a stepdad. Um, he's not my biological dad, but there are traits I can see in myself sometimes that are, that that I've picked up from him. And I think oh that's interesting. There's not a biological connection, but it's just things that have been role modelled to me. And there's definitely things that this guy Nick that in the way he was. Um, that you know, I can see coming through, and that's really important for us as a church to be aware of that—that that we're role modelling things. Um, and I just want to encourage us as well. This is a plea from my heart. Um, men, think seriously about getting involved with kids' work. Um, I, 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 I've been involved in kids' work um, since we joined the church. We're on a bit of a break now, but I really feel um, convicted to come back onto the kids' rota because the groups need men. Um, there aren't. I think, I think James Firmage might be the only man standing in the older kids' group. I really, really encourage you to pray about and think about seriously about joining the kids work because the the kids in the groups the groups need male role models um i can't tell you how with the boys when they uh, when we were at the catalyst festival and the groups that they went to they both had men as group leaders and just the impact that had on them and um uh, just in, in terms of them engaging in the in the groups and, and engaging with jesus so i encourage you to do that um so as i said i, I had an experience of two dads growing up I had an absent dad who disappeared when I was about two and who I've had very little contact with, um, you know, over the years. And I also had, when I was, when I was a bit older, so about eight years old, um, I had a, uh, my mum got remarried, so I had a stepdad. And um, so that's two, two experiences of fatherhood. And I'd say, um, you, you know, that neither of them were necessarily the best experiences of fatherhood. Um, I had, a, you know, I had a, a difficult relationship with my stepdad and obviously a fairly vague relationship with my biological dad. Um, and just the importance of, I, I think growing up, I didn't realize how that affected me and how the insecurities that, that kind of brought into my life. Um, it was only recently that I really connected with God as Father. In fact, I, looking back, I never used to pray to God as Father. I never used to think of Him as a Father, um, and I hadn't realised that. But actually, that kind of understanding fatherhood and having that connection with with you know, understanding fatherhood, it's very important in terms of our relationship with God and, and relating to God as a Father. And if there was one one verse, I think is. Um, just really helpful in terms of raising boys and 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 being a dad to boys. It's Ephesians six four, where it says, "Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord." 
And it's that sense of exasperation, which to me speaks of control. It speaks of not being trustworthy, not doing what you say you're going to do. Um, it speaks of not investing in, a, in, a, in the child in terms of their future, um, kind of thinking about where they're going, but trying to control their behavior now to fit in with my, uh, my agenda. And one, th- one of the things I have learned is actually to pick my battles. That's something that, that, that I learned early on, actually, is to, is to pick my battles because um, it's easy to make rules and to try and control behavior. And, you, and once you've kind of said something, you've got, to, you've got to follow it through. You've got to be consistent. And, um, um, you, you know, you're just making a rod for your own back sometimes because it's really not that important. And actually, only kind of... Um, Kind of laying down the law when, when, you know, when it's important and not, and not, um, trying to kind of control, um, the, control the kids. Um, and then instruction, bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, kind of role modeling, as I've said, um, leading, leading them by example, channeling their energy, channeling their gifts, um, for their future, releasing them, um, and also imparting wisdom. I just think that's, um, in Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs, you know, says, son, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give you my wisdom. Actually, what I always look to do is try and, try and impart wisdom rather than, you know, try and control their behavior or it, but actually to give them the values and the wisdom that they need to make decisions as they grow. Um, I think that's really important. I often say to them that they're men in training. That's my job is to teach them to be men and that they're men in training. Um, and, um, yeah. So just the three things in security, responsibility, and then challenge. Um, I just think in terms of security, giving them a kind of secure environment, it was interesting. I asked my boys and I talked to a few of the other kids, you know, what, what do you think, um, you know, what's important about dads? And it was, uh, what really struck me was the common theme um, wasn't like adventure or, um, muscles or anything like that, you know, although the boys did say, um, that it would be boring without me because they would have no one to fight. But, um, which Trudy was actually a bit upset by, but um, yeah, the, the, the common thing was they said caring, that dads are caring, which I thought was amazing. I'm not necessarily the thing you think of first, but that's really important to them, I know. Um, it's important not to have favourites that, 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 you know, you value, they're all individual and you value, value them for themselves. Um, I think there's enough in the Bible to show us that, um, you know, favoritism is really damaging to families. You know, you look at um, Jacob and Joseph and you look at Isaac um, choosing um, Esau and even David and his sons. That actually, wherever there's favoritism in a family, what you know, for one, because, you know, we're, we're as fathers quite often, once, you know, one son might be more like you than another. Um, it, if, but if, you know, favoritism is just dis- destructive. So making sure there's no favoritism, encouragement. Boys respond so well to encouragement, and that's what they need. They just they just need encouragement, even in the tiny things. And actually, a little bit of encouragement will go a lot further than um, you know trying to um, you know trying to tell them to do it differently. At, you know, at some point, but encouraging them in the positives just goes a lot a lot further. Um, and obviously, you know. Um, st- being available to talk about um, the difficult things as well and to talk about things like sex. Um, I know um, I, 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 Dylan's sitting there, so I hope he's not too embarrassed. But, but I'm, you know, but, but, being, but telling them it's okay to talk about this or any questions and making sure that, 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 um, that um, you're available to talk about the difficult things and actually asking questions as well. And also freedom to fail, that you know, they can fail, they can try, they can get it wrong and... It's, you know, that's okay. Um, you're just happy that they tried.
Responsibility, um, teaching them responsibility is really important, letting them take risks, um, and not just teaching them, actually, but also I feel like I have a role as, a, as, as the husband to help to teach Trudy about boys and what boys need, and that actually it's okay for them to climb on the top rung of the climbing frame um, and things like that, and not not to and you know I mean? to some trying. So it's also my role to kind of teach Trudy, you know, how to kind of let them be boys because um, she hasn't been a boy, so she doesn't know. But um, um, and teaching them responsibility in terms of others. It's really important that boys have competition. I think there was a there was a survey recently where. Um, there was a study and they decided that, you know, like rewarding kids in class, you know, for good behavior. Actually, with boys, it worked better when they were random, randomly given rewards. So they weren't rewarded every time, but just randomly. When they did something good, they'd get a prize. That boys like that competition, that kind of sense of, you know, risk or don't know what's going to happen. And, um, you know, just, just encouraging healthy competition, um, which obviously has a tendency with them to kind of flip over into... Um, aggression and um, unhealthy competition but you know I was just reminded of Joab and David I don't know if you know the story where Joab's about to conquer a city and he says to David you better come quickly because I'm about to conquer the city and if I do I'm going to name it after me so David kind of rushes out to kind of get there it's almost like this healthy competition Joab wanted to do it but he also wanted David to win and um, and getting the boys to kind of prefer one another and um, teaching them about that there's an analogy and I don't know if you know the, the Pixar Disney film um, cars, where they're all cars, it's a bit weird. So I've got no hands. So how do they make anything? But they've only got tires. But um, yeah, so they're all cars, and there's a race car that wants to win. And then the last lap, another car crashes, and instead of winning, he stops to help the car that's crashed. And um, and as a, and, and because of that, he's the real winner because he actually, you know, yeah. and getting them to see, you know, actually winning isn't just about crossing the line first, but it's about preferring others and helping others and, and being and taking responsibility. And then just lastly, challenge, just encouraging them. Um, self-control obviously is a huge thing for boys and um, trying to kind of encourage them at a young age that actually self-control is really important and conversations I've had with them where I've said, look, uh, you know, where they've kind of lost their temper. I won't say which one, but it wasn't Dylan. So, <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, so anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, where they, you know, where, where they've lost their temper and lashed out and actually trying to help them to understand, well, that's okay now, but when you're 20, if you're still doing that, then the consequences of that are, are a lot worse. So um, to start thinking about consequences and to, and, and to see self-control as a really important thing and um, often pray together um, for, you know, the gifts of the spirit that they would have. And one of the big things for one of them is that they pray for is the gift of self-control because they see the, they say the value of that and they're learning that. Psalm 127 says that children are like arrows in a, in a kind of warrior's hand. And um, if you don't teach them that self-control early on, you know, that, that can be very, that could be dangerous. Arrows can be dangerous in the wrong hands, you know, so, um, yeah. And just kind of teaching them boundaries and teaching them respect um, so like boundaries, for example, um, time when um, I was traveling away a lot for work and Trudy, and when I come on Trudy say, oh, they were really badly behaved and, you know, it was really hard work. And I didn't really understand that, but actually there was something going on there that I, that even when I'm not there, they need to know that I'm going to back Trudy up and that, they, that dad is going to find out and dad is going to enforce the boundaries that, that they've got that father figure who's, you know, even when I'm not there and I haven't seen it for myself, that actually 
I'm going to back Trudy and um, those boundaries still apply because at the end of the day, when they're, if they're really naughty, sometimes they, they need to be picked up under my arm and you know walked out of the shop to the car. And Trudy can't do that, um, whereas I can, I'm still strong enough, just about. So, but um, yeah, there's enforcing those boundaries and, let, and making sure they know that those boundaries apply, you know, when I'm there and when I'm not. And respect as well, obviously, re- learning to respect. Um, Trudy as their mum, but also I feel like I have a role in teaching them how, you know, to respect women. So the way that they, I teach them to, um, relate to Trudy and to other women, obviously that's really important. Um, and teaching them early on, um, a kind of right, the, the right way, you know, you know, it had, um, the right way to relate to, to, to women. So that's it. Should know how to work this. Yeah, you're right, sir. If you can pop it up, like um, Stephen Trudy, we've got three boys. Hopefully, you'll see our three boys in a moment. Um, Joel is the oldest at eight and a half. Daniel's the youngest at four and a half. And Barney, who I'm going to talk about, is seven. Probably not see the photographs with the sunlight. It's just about. So you get to see Barney. Barney, believe it or not, has got special needs. But my word, that kid loves life. And if you know Barney, you know he's a lot of fun, and he loves life. Um, Barney was premature. On the next slide, you'll see he was born a couple of weeks early, um, five and a half, nearly six weeks early. And um, as he grew up, we realized something wasn't quite right. Um, his development was behind. He kept getting infections. He spent a lot of time in hospital. And Paul and Helen Denny were around as they saw us backwards and forwards to hospital a lot. Um, by now, he's had four operations. He's had general anesthetic four times. He'll have more operations. He spends a lot of time at the children's hospital, at least every six weeks. Um, and basically, what I want to try and do quickly is cover three things. One, what I've learned about the tenderness and the gentleness of God. Um, secondly, very briefly on the privilege, the joy, the difficulties and the opportunities that we have, or I have, um, been a dad of a special needs child and how that's changed me. So the tenderness of God, anyone who knows me, you'll know that I'm a pretty go, go, go kind of person. And um, I've put a picture of, um, of, a, of a sergeant major kind of drill sergeant. And I think I realized as I was preparing this, this was kind of how I view God, that God's kind of like, go, 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 go. You know, Matthew 28, go into all the world and preach the gospel, convert the lost. And as you hit problems, just push on through them. And do you know what? I've realized that being a dad to Barney, do you know, it's, it all goes out the window. And, and I've realized just the tenderness and the gentleness of God towards us. That started actually before we had children. Clear as day, I remember we were in Southampton. I was out for a walk. I was praying. And, um, and I felt God stop me. And he said, Triff, if I give you a disabled child, would you love them? And I worked that through, and, I, and it's crystal clear in my memory, and I worked that through, and I remember concluding and praying and saying, yes, God, whoever you choose to give us, I love. That's a no-brainer, isn't it? And you kind of, from there, we had a miscarriage, we then had Joel, and then we had Barney. 
And the night before Barney was to be born, um, he, it was, Wendy had been brought into hospital for observations. The hospital staff were saying, no way is this child coming. And I was reading Isaiah 44. It's my normal scripture reading. And I felt God clear as day again. Tell me, this child will be born. I have a plan for his life. I will heal him and he will have descendants. And the significance of that over this last seven and a half years, yep, about right, has been incredible because, you know, when he's been in hospital fighting for his life, when there have been times when the, the doctors are worried whether this child's going to make it through, when even when, you know, you're at home and you're looking at him and thinking, is life ever going to change? Is, it, is this what it's always going to be like? You've got promises that you can go back to and we've got something that we can hold on to and I can, as a dad, can hold on to and say, no, God spoke that. Actually, before he was born, God said, I've got a plan for his life. And we got something. God said he's going to heal him. God said he's going to have descendants. That's going to require miracle. So, and I think I've learned about the tenderness of God in that. God's been very gentle with me. And um, and I guess as well, the other thing that kind of helps in that is if you've ever prayed for Barney, you'll realize his openness to the Holy Spirit. So as soon as you start to pray for him, he just melts. He just, it's like he falls asleep and you see the peace of God all over him. And it's in those moments you realize, do you know what? That whole academic thing, the whole achievements that this world recognizes as important, oh, I give them all up. This is what I want. I want a child who's open to God. So the tenderness of God, I've learned about. The privilege, the joy, the difficulties and the opportunities. The privilege that I feel. It's a it's an honor. Deeply, it's an honor that God has trusted me to be Barney's dad. It's like I I often feel like a pretty lousy dad. Yet that's how I feel. What I know is that by the grace of God on me, I'm the best dad that Barney can have. And he deserves the best. And God chose me to be his dad. That's an honor. That's quite emotional, okay? The joys. I had no idea of the joys that could be found in the little things. So I'm quite academic. I mentioned that. And you suddenly realize the things that you take for granted. So in our other two boys, there's just loads of stuff you take for granted. With Barney, these are major celebrations. So when he sat up at 18 months, this was a major celebration. When he rode his bike at five years old, without um, he was with stabilizers, but he could pedal. These were things we didn't actually expect he'd ever do. Um, when he came home from school after being at school a couple of years and was able to count to three, this was a point of major celebration. Um, when he got his first reading book, which was a couple of weeks ago, he's now on to book four, and his first reading book was A Cat, A Hat, A Cat Under the Hat, <laughs> was a day of celebration. We did not think that Barney would ever get a reading book, and he was so thrilled and excited with his reading books. He's now on to a box. A bit different to Joel, who came back with 
a story <laughs> um, on his first week at school. Um, getting through the day dry, you know, he got awarded by the head teacher in school um, an award for using the toilet independently, and that was this year. Again, a day of great celebration. The little things you appreciate, and we celebrate. So those are the joys. Find incredible joy in those things. The difficulties. Um, no, this is where I feel a bit of a fraud because actually we've got a lot to be thankful for in Barney. Barney is a happy, cheerful little boy. And whenever you spend time with his peers who've got incredibly complex needs, you realize, you know, we're very privileged. Um, and I think I've got another slide of him just having a lot of fun. It kind of sums up his, just he loves life. Um, so I do feel a fraud talking about it, but the reality is it's difficult. It's really difficult, you know, being, being a dad to Barney. He's hard work. <laughs> and, and I guess that's probably kind of hard to understand. But at home, he's very demanding. The other two definitely lose out. Um, and it's tough. And, and going backwards and forwards to hospital and operations and all of that, the logistics of that are really, really difficult. And it's not so bad now, but when he'd break down, he'd throw a wobbly in town and the looks that you get and you end up feeling like this tall and Wendy had a lot of it worse than me. But it's tough. It's really tough being um, a dad of special needs kids. Um, and generally, what I've found is that people don't get it. And we've had a lot of friends who have been incredibly supportive. And if we hadn't had the support that we've had, I don't know if we'd have made it. But you suddenly realize it's when you spend time with parents of kids with special needs, then they get it. <laughs> they, they actually get what it's like. And because of that, we get a lot of opportunities. Um, so Barney goes to special needs school and we get on really well with the parents of his peers. And these guys come from a whole different social background. These are people that we would not otherwise have ever come across. And um, Barney goes to a special needs football club on a Saturday morning. The kind of the bond that you feel with other parents, it, it, I can't really describe it. So, you know, when, when Barney had his birthday party the other day and they all come in, they, the dads, they all come give you a hug. You know, I don't get that with Joel's mates, parents. Okay. So we got a lot of opportunities. And again, I just feel really honored that God's given us the opportunity to befriend those guys. Um, oh, nearly under 10 minutes. Um, and then the last thing was just about how that's changed me. Um, I mentioned, I think, what I was, was like. I'm still a bit like that. But the reality is God's brought me on a journey. And it's a journey that I'm very thankful for. It's a journey that I feel as a result, I've met an aspect of God's heart that I don't think I'd have met otherwise. I think I'm a more chilled out person. I think I value the person more rather than achievement. I think I'm a gentler person. And I love Barney. I wouldn't change it for a minute. Oh, 10 minutes, 24 seconds. I, w I had actually decided not to mention um, about losing a child, um, but since Rob said I was going to talk about it, I'll, I'll say in a sentence. Okay, again, I feel like a complete and utter fraud talking about losing a child. Abigail hadn't taken her first breath when we lost her. So there's a, com there's a point between 
where it's no longer a miscarriage and it's classed as stillbirth. And so we'd, we'd just crossed that and we lost Abigail. That was two and a half years ago. What I'd say is it completely ripped me to shreds. I had no idea how that could affect me. Um, it completely tore me to bits. There is very few weeks that go by now, even two and a half years on, that I don't think about Abigail. Um, I'm very glad that we buried her. So she's got, um, she's got a plot in Canada Cemetery and it's a great place to go. You know, when life gets a bit tough, it's great to be able to go there and remember when life was really low and you're able to think, do you know what, God? I trust you. You've got a plan. This came as no surprise to you. I don't understand this. I will never understand this. I'm not even going to try and understand it. But you've got a plan. And I remember that. I remember learning that when we lost Abigail. God's got a plan. Um, so it's rarely a time that we don't think about Abigail. Um, but God knows. God knows. And God's... Oh, he's good, isn't he? Who's next? Am I on? Is that on? Is that on? Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I was doing all right, Trev, until you... I got all emotional then. <laughs> um, I, I, first of all, my name's Paul, by the way, and uh, I wanted to pay tribute to my dad and my father-in-law because uh, I've been very blessed to have very good role models in my life there. Strong and loyal, faithful, consistent fathers. And I'm married to Helen. We've been married for 26 years now. And we have two beautiful daughters, one of which is here today, <laughs> and a wonderful son as well. Our eldest daughter, Rachel, is nearly 20, nearly 23. And she's just finished her uh, degree at Brighton in primary education. Grace, who's here is very nearly 21. She's 21 next month. And she's just finished her science degree in uh, London. It's a veterinary science degree she's done. And John, our youngest, is extremely nearly 19 because he's 19 the day after tomorrow. And he's done his first year at Nottingham. He's studying economics. I was talking to Grace in the car uh, the other day as I was bringing her back from college and she very rashly said, I don't mind what you say about me in this, <laughs> but I've just got one Gracie story I wanted to tell. It's when she was tiny and I've still got this picture up, excuse me, picture of her in my mind uh, as a tiny girl because she's very feisty and she's standing and she's holding onto the banisters like this. She's doing like that. <laughs> she's got, I think she's just got a nappy on and she's carrying a blanket because she didn't like getting dressed in the morning. <laughs> and she's saying, no, I don't want to get dressed. And <laughs> it was a bit of a fight. We had to pull, pull on her and uh, get her to get dressed. And we decided around that time that her North American Indian name, if she had one, would be Stands With a Fist. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen that film. <laughs> we thought that would be her name. So this last year has been a real sudden transition for us because John has, uh, he went, he went to university last September. So that was our youngest away. 
So we've had this last year, just uh, the two of us in the house. It's been very quiet. <laughs> and we're just getting used to that. It's great to have Grace back now and John coming soon as well. But I asked Helen before I spoke what she would say on or have me say on this subject. And she said uh, her first thought was, as a couple, get into the habit of having fun together so that when that time comes when the nest is suddenly empty, you, you're you not sitting there looking at each other, thinking, what do we do now? <laughs> uh, so we do, looking back, we do miss those times, you know, when it was all of us together as a family. And in that respect, going to Catalyst brought, was a bit painful. In, I mean, it was great in lots of ways, but because we'd had lots of happy times at Stonely uh, camping together, going to Catalyst sort of was a bit painful as well in, in some ways. Uh, but the last sort of 20 years or more than has been a story of teaching or allowing more and more independence in our kids as they've grown up. And uh, it's not, we know it's the right thing to do, but it's not always that easy. Um, and it's difficult to know how much independence to give and when. <laughs> and you can't even sort of, with the eldest one, you think, oh, right, we've got the blueprint now. So, and then you find, oh no, the next one and the next one, they're all different again. So you can't just repeat what you did. It doesn't get easier. <laughs> I can remember saying sorry to our teenagers uh, for getting it wrong, <laughs> for losing my temper or being impatient. And I can remember saying to at least one of them, I'm just learning as, as we go along. You know, it's the first time I've done that, <laughs> done this. And then the other thing I remember is um, loads of decisions tough to make, especially in teenage years, like uh, can can she go to so-and-so's for a sleepover and can he go on this school trip? And <laughs> it just seemed to all come, you get bombarded with them. You need a lot of wisdom. But one of the skills I did develop, I think, as a parent was how to embarrass my children. I think I got quite good at that. So th things that were, <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> things that were acceptable when they were younger became awkward and uncool, you know, like holding hands when you're walking down the high street or even something simple like just waving from the doorstep in the morning. Or John's thing was uh, his mates used to call around uh, to pick him up to go to school and uh, he didn't used to like especially Helen for some reason, to, sorry, Don, talking to his mates for too long. I think he was worried about what she might say. You know, she was just chatting to them. So you sort of get to enjoy it a bit. And I sort of uh, got a few tips for things that you can do. You know, try and, if you want to be an embarrassing dad. <laughs> I uh, One good thing is to sort of try and get down with the kids. But you know what I mean? <laughs> be very current and everything but then just get it a little bit wrong as well which is <laughs> easily done you know saying things like that's really sick man you know <laughs> as though you know what you're talking about and uh, I was talking to somebody about this last night and he said yeah say things like uh, I was listening to Madame Gaga is really safe and then go like this go like that <laughs> 
<laughs> That's pretty embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> you could wear a, pa- a baseball cap back to front and let your trousers hang down at the back, you know, so, so your pants are showing. But, <laughs> but uh, to be a father is a high calling. <laughs> I was just thinking about, I think we heard it earlier, about um, one of the names... Uh, given when Isaiah was announcing the coming Messiah, he said, uh, "His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father." Yeah, and thankfully, our Heavenly Father makes covers us, makes up for our mistakes and our failings. And uh, I, I believe, in a sense, that we're all called to be uh, fathers and mothers spiritually. And uh, seems many times when I've been prayed for by different people in different places, even in different countries, I keep getting this word, you're called to be a father, and applying it to your family, but also in a spiritual sense. It's a bit ironic to me, because I don't necessarily feel that good at it. But uh, So I've asked people in different places, what does that look like? You know, What does it mean, being a spiritual father? I've had some... Answers like these. Uh, being a father means it's okay when everyone else, it's everyone else's turn to be recognized and blessed or maybe everyone else gets a prophetic word and you don't and you've got that maturity to, to say that. That's okay. Or, uh, Steve mentioned being a father means to be an encourager and just saying it, you know, wow, I love it when you bring a song or, you're really good at making cakes. That's an important one to me. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, we went to this conference uh, in Bedford recently, and uh, I got prayed for by a French guy, and sure enough, he's prayed straight away, you're, you're a father, wow. And uh, he said, sorry, he said, you need to give hugs, <laughs> which is not something I'm particularly comfortable with, but... Uh, and just to express it, um, actually, my boss, I'm really lucky at work because uh, I've got, unusually, I've got a boss who's very good at this. And uh, he will buy us a round of coffees, cappuccinos, because we have posh coffee at work, just because he wants to say, I think you're great, you know, even when it's not a special occasion or anything. And that's quite rare, isn't it? I don't think you come across that too often. And I've... I think we've been really blessed actually coming here because for those who don't know, we haven't been around at this church for that long. But uh, I think Rob and Steve are very good at, at that, uh, encouraging. Uh, yeah, and my last point on that is being a father means to be a supporter. So when the, the younger or less experienced person comes along and they go shooting past you, I can remember years ago, in Solihull, actually, it was at a Midlands initiative meeting about planting these churches in the Midlands. Somebody called Colin Barron came and talked, and he said, um, he talked about this. He said, church planting's about being prepared for that person coming in who's going to go shooting past you and overtake you and being okay with that and being a supporter and encourager. That really impressed me. Yeah, my Paul. My last point is Paul 
when he's writing to the church, the Corinthians, he talks in family terms and he says, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Being a father's that kind of awesome responsibility because our kids imitate us and it's the same in spiritual terms, I think. God's our perfect father. He provides for us. He's always patient with us. He sets those perfect boundaries. He gives us comfort, support, encouragement, affection. The eternal God's our refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Hey, I told you we've got some great men in our church, don't we? I said, I told you we've got some great men in our church. I just want us to take a moment to honour dads. And we're going to pray for dads. But I'm also just so conscious that God's fatherhood has been displayed so vividly through each of the stories and things that have been said And I just feel like God wants to share his heart a bit with us as a father. So can we just stand a moment? Let's just pause in God's presence, because his presence is here really wonderfully at the moment. And Lord, I just pray, will you open our eyes? Lord, perhaps we've had Sergeant Major versions of your fatherhood. Or perhaps we haven't had a good example of fatherhood growing up. Perhaps we've had an absent father or an abusive father even. Lord, you are our example of true fatherhood. You love us unconditionally. You protect us, you provide for us. And so we just come to you and say, Lord, would you Heal us. Would you reveal your father heart to us in a fresh way, even as we've heard about your fatherhood through each of these great dads that have spoken this afternoon. I pray that you would unlock the fatherhood of God to each one of us. Give us a fresh revelation or even a first-time revelation if we've never known it. Would you just show us about your fatherhood? I'm just going to pause for a moment and just let God come. Thank you, Father God. You're our Father in heaven. Amen. And now we're just going to just honour fathers. And the way we're going to do that, even if you're a dad, even if you're a man, what we're going to do is just cheer and thank God for the fathers of Jubilee. And even turn around to other people and look at one another and say, I honour you, I thank you for being a dad 
Yeah, can we do that? I know we're English, but can we break some boundaries here? And let's just raise a shout to God. Let's applaud. Let's turn to one another. And I'm going to count to three, so there's no embarrassment, because it's really bad when you're the first one to clap, isn't it? (laughs) So if I count to three, we can all do it at once, all right? So one, two, (laughs) three. Jesus. Fantastic. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Wonderful. Thank you, Father. Okay, now we're going to do grab a dad. Just put your hand on a dad nearby, or any bloke, in fact. Just put your hand on a man. Hand on one another. And I'm just, we're just going to pray for you. I'm going to pray first of all, and if you want to carry on praying for a bit, that's absolutely fine as well, okay? So I'm going to pray first of all. So Lord, I just pray for an extra dose of dad grace to be released right now into this church. You are our Father in heaven. Come down through each of these men, Lord. I pray the fatherhood of God would be clearly shown and demonstrated through the men in this church. Lord, I pray you'd lift burdens because fatherhood is hard. There's difficulties. I pray for healing, Lord. I pray for those times when we mess up, when we lose our temper. Lord, give us humility in fatherhood as well. I pray, Lord, for a huge dose of grace and just fill each of these men with your spirit right now all over again in Jesus' name. Now if you'd just like to keep praying, if you want to share any prophetic words or any passages from the Bible, I'm just going to ask Chris to put some music on so we'll just have a couple of minutes where you can just continue to pray for each of these men. And then after that, you'd like to disperse and pick up your kids, and then there are drinks at the end. So it's going to be a fuzzy ending to the meeting. All right, so I'm just going to give you a few minutes to just pray for one another now.